Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against weight stigma, diet culture, fat phobia, ableism, racism, etc. You can get more Fat Joy goodness, including how you can support the podcast through my newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com. And for episode transcripts, book reviews, and show notes, head to the Fat Joy website at fatjoy.life. I am so glad you're here. Enjoy this episode. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy Podcast. I'm Sophia, and today I'm joined by Christy Alesco. Hi, Christy. Hello. I am so happy you're here. Thank you. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. I feel like I've, uh, uh, you know, I just called in and DM'd you and slid in here. It's fantastic. <laughs> it works. People, my DMs are open. Message me. I don't know if I just opened a can of worms on that, but I'm, that's okay. I'm open. Um, I'm so glad you did. Cause as I was mentioning before we started recording, this whole thing about people in plus size, fat bodies and getting massages is something that I have encountered myself. I talked to people about it. I talked to friends about it who've experienced similar things. Massage is such an intimate experience to have. I have people, actually my husband doesn't like anyone to touch him. So like even like it is so intimate to have someone like rub their hands over your body when you know, it's like that kind of relationship. And so as a fat person going in for massage, there are extra levels of vulnerability that like, I don't even know how to put into words the stuff that I have felt in spaces that did not know how to work with my body and at various sizes, like, you know, all different sizes. I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of massage. And so when you, when you did reach out, I was like, Oh my God, this person I'm supposed to talk to. Cause I, even just myself, this may be a very selfish episode, but I don't think so. I want to know, I want to know how do I get the kind of massage? How do I ask for what I need? What do I watch out for? We're just going to go into all of it today. So I'm so grateful you're here, Christy. I'm amazing. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> okay. Yay. So I've already given away a little bit of what you do, but why don't you tell us about yourself? Totally. So um, I live in Victoria, uh, home of the Lagonquin speaking peoples, and I've been a massage therapist now for nine years. Uh, I started massage therapy school here in Victoria when I, right around the time I turned 30 and I was so, so thrilled to be actually in a career I wanted to be in for that 30th birthday and be on a, a track. And yeah, I started teaching at um, WCCMT, which is a West Coast College of Massage Therapy here in Victoria about six years ago. Um, I started as a clinic supervisor and for the past four years, I've been teaching my own class and teaching assistant for various other classes. And, you know, I was listening to your podcast. One of my patients turned me on to it. And, you know, I heard massage come up on like three or four episodes. And I'm like, I, I need know to I've been talking of like, what's the wrong? How do I do this better? <laughs> I have information to share with you. I Yay. need to DM you. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Yay. Here we are. Oh my God, I'm so excited for everything you're so about to I say. I work at um, a private clinic, uh, seeing my own patients. I'm an independent contractor, so I run my own schedule, kind of my own business, but I let I pay other people to uh, run a business for me, and that's Absolute Therapy in Victoria. And yeah, and then the other fun thing I do is I do a lot of massage therapy at music festivals. Oh, that's fascinating. I have so many questions. <laughs> I know. I had a, I mentioned it because I'm right in the thick of it right now. I've, I'm leaving tomorrow morning for 
a festival on a golf island and then I've got another one two weeks later. Wow. Okay. Slight segue because I have to know. Okay. So massage therapy at a music festival. First of all, that's amazing. You Do you get to like hear all the acts and like see everything? Usually, yeah. And it's just so great being behind the scenes. And I'm a, I'm a contributor. I want to work. I want to uh, be part of a team. And festivals are a team effort. So being able to participate means a lot to me. That's so cool. And so when you're working as a massage therapist at a festival, is it like for the artists? Is it for the people who are there? What is What does that entail? It can go either way. Um, at my, this stage in my career, I don't do a lot of open to the public unless there's some very specific guardrails to like keep the experience fun and easy. Uh, but yeah, working with artists is definitely usually uh-huh. what I do. I know you can't tell me, but I'm going to ask the question that's in everyone's mind, which is like, who are all the famous people you've massaged? And you probably can't answer. <laughs> I can't answer that at all. I would say I've... I've, I've, I've you know, before I wasn't even an RMT, I was at a festival and I massaged an artist who meant so much to me. Um, and I, I I was just out of school a few months and I felt the wave of professionalism wash over me. And I'm like, oh, I can do this job. Oh, I have tears in my eyes. That's what a moment. Yeah. When you really feel like, oh, no, I'm I'm cool. I'm just doing my job. I've got professionalism. You can't phase me. I was so happy. Oh my God. Yeah. Like the, oh yeah. For me in my head, it's like, oh, I'm actually really a grown up. Like that's what goes through my head. <laughs> wow. Oh, what a gift to have to do that with someone who you really admire. Amazing. Okay. So my second question, as you know, is always about your relationship to the word fat. So walk us through it. What, what role has this word had in your life? You know, I've I've probably been fat since grade four, if not earlier. <clears throat> and so that word's always been around. And very early on, like elementary school, high school, if someone would call me fat, I would just very much be, oh, shocking, you have eyeballs. Like it didn't, it hurt, but it didn't hurt in the way you would, they wanted it to, right? Like, come on, folks we all see what's going on here. Um, and I'm very comfortable using the word now. And, but even then it's the word itself has never bothered me. It's always been descriptive. It's what's behind it. So to give you an example, um, so I've got a lot of little kids in my life. I've got my nibblings. Um, So all my very good friends have small children and I'm very involved in their lives. And I, I hadn't gone on a hike in a year and I love hiking and the pandemic and an injury just really sidetracked me in all my physical goals. And so I was going on a hike with that family and we're just, we're doing a vertical climb. Like it is straight up and I am taking frequent breaks, uh, which is fine. My friends know how to hike with me. Everything was great. But I'm explaining to this six-year-old, like, hey, dude, I haven't hiked in a year. Like, my body needs a chance to recover a little bit. And I teach him about body stuff. I'm in charge of his biology (laughs) education. Yay. Yeah. And um, we're chatting. At one point, his face gets big. He's like, Auntie Christy, if you don't exercise, you're going to get fat. And in my heart, I was just like, oh, buddy, you don't know. <laughs> Not yet. You don't know. So he's heard that word. He knows what that means. He doesn't associate it with me. And then I was with another nibbling recently who I don't see as often. And I biked uh, to go meet them. And we're chatting. And she goes, how did you bike if you're so chubby? And I was like, oh, honey. So she knows not to say the word fat but the sentiment is still there. And so it's just like, Oh, so like four and six are their, their ages. And like, that's, that's the societal knowledge. That's where it's at. So the word doesn't bother me. It's, it's what people think and assumptions they make that can hurt. Yeah. Those examples are so beautiful and four and six like that's really yeah I remember reading recently well maybe it wasn't recently maybe like six months or so ago 
there was, uh, it was a group of researchers talked to five-year-olds, which I think is kindergarten age, and they had all had experience with dieting. They knew what it was. They knew you do it to not get fat. Like, it, like just, it's, a, it's shocking to me how young this starts now. I'm always curious about what, like, did you have a liberation aha moment? Like, was there, was it gradual? Like, when did you start to realize like, oh, there are other people out here kind of like fighting for the rights of fat people and I want to be a part of that. Like, when did that happen for you? It's always been very, very slow. Very, very slow because like, I think how I've lived my life is very much like, like secret fat. Like everyone knows, but like, I didn't have a lot of other fat friends. Um, and I mean, this is a vulnerable thing to say, but like you would often like, not, like discourage becoming friends with other fat people. Right. Totally. Me too. We can't be beside each other. That's it. Yeah. Right. That It's that internalized anti-fatness. I had the same thing whenever I was bigger. It was like, as my weight started to fluctuate more and more, yeah, I was, I would feel embarrassed or ashamed to be around other fat people because then, oh, then they're going to know that I'm also fat. And now I just think, oh, you poor girl, like, what were you thinking? But at the time, that's, you know, all we knew. Yeah. I remember being in early, early university and someone came up to me and told me about a fat dance class. And I was so grateful. I was so happy. I was pumped. And it didn't end up working out. But just like, that just delighted me. And then, and that person must have been so brave to come up and talk to me too. Yeah. So think, once that started happening, then you're a little bit more aware. And But what's interesting is, I'm sure we're, we're getting to this, but how I became a massage therapist is that track of relationship with bodies in general. Because if you had asked me through high school, early university, childhood, I was just like, I want to be a brain in a jar. Stick me at a desk. Let me be intelligent and productive and like forget there's a body at all. And that was very much how I saw my future. And kind of breaking that down and becoming like learning about my body is one of the reasons I got into this. And it's so shocking to me that that's where I started and where I came from. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's actually a pretty common sentiment. I mean, uh, yeah, my husband, who's an artist who really just wants to live in like the creative, you know, netherworld, always says, I wish I could just be a floating consciousness and like not have to like deal with the physicalness of bodies. And I like, I really, I really get that. I really do and have definitely felt that myself too, right? So I love that for you that led to what you do now, which is all about embodied work and body work, right? So why don't you take us on that journey? Tell us how you went from one to the other and how you became a massage therapist. Yeah. So um, people ask me all the time and I have four basic answers for how I got into massage therapy. And depending on how vulnerable I'm being with people, I give them one of the four answers. They're all true. Oh, I want the most vulnerable, Christy. Oh, okay. So, so the most vulnerable. <laughs> if is, you feel um, comfortable, you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, so my mom passed away in 2008. And that, I was in my early 20s. And that just forms a complete rupture in everything about your life, right? Um, and so one of the things that happened was I, uh, I flew to go see her in the hospital because this was all very sudden and shocking. And one of the first things she asked me to do was give her a foot massage. And so I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And so that was very much like, and then what proceeded over the next month, uh, the last month of her life was like, oh, I, I can take care of people. Oh, had you ever massaged her feet before? Or was this, was this like a new request? Okay. You no, know, I think it was pretty common, but also we hadn't lived together in about nine years at that point. So it was kind of, yeah. Oh, that intimacy of that. It was a bit of, of a callback to, you know, when we we were a family living together. Beautiful. But yeah. 
Wow. And I suddenly I'm like, oh, I'm competent. I'm capable. I can take care of her. I can give physical comfort in this way. And so that meant a lot. And then the following year, and this is a whole, by the way, niche genre in fiction, a uh, woman's mother dies, woman goes traveling. Uh, it's a special eat, pray, love. Um, but I, I went to Southeast Asia for six months and I did a foot massage class in Thailand. And Oh, I just got goosebumps, the significance of that. Like that was your bonding with your mom, your mom passes, and now you like are actually studying the art of massage in that way. That's really beautiful, Christy. Thanks. So I did that. And then by the time I came back, I'm like giving everyone foot massages. Like you're socializing with a bunch of friends, like, and I get bored or socially anxious or whatever. I'm like, who wants a foot massage? <laughs> and that went on for like a year until like, like it started to get weird. I'm like, <laughs> Christy, you do actually need to socialize with people. You can't just hide in a corner. <laughs> So I'm like, hmm, perhaps I should monetize this. Um, and then at the exact same time, two other things are happening. I went to a hypnotherapist to help me figure out what I kind of career I needed because um, it wasn't happening. And it was, I'd written the LSATs. So am I going to go to law school or should I do something else? And what's going to happen? And she really helped me clarify what my actual values were around work. And what was actually important to me and, and get rid of some things that I thought were important that weren't. Mm -hmm. And what was important to me was um, being able to continuously learn and use my, use my brain to its full capacity and really be able to push myself in, a, in whatever direction I wanted to go. And yeah, massage therapy was very much that. Like there's no end to what you can learn about people and bodies. And then what was the other thing? The other reason? Oh, also in this phase, I took up running and I ran a 5K, which was fantastic. And two weeks later, I got a really bad case of plantar fasciitis, which lasted for about a year. So it's a year in which I can barely walk. That's so long. I've had plantar fasciitis and it is excruciating, but I, mine, mine was only like a month or two. I can't imagine a year. It was emotionally horrible because you'd go on a walk with friends, like, oh, walk beside the ocean. And I would have to sit and take breaks. And I'm like, I'm in my 20s. Like, I need to be able to walk. This is, and I'm like, similarly, this is a bad fat girl stereotype. I need to be able to walk. Uh, so then I turned into strength training because you can do that with bladder fasciitis. So I'm doing all this research, like, how do I fix my feet? How do I strength train? And at a certain point, I was just like, I kind of feel I can go to school and have someone teach me this. So those kind of four things all converged uh, around 2012. Wow, beautiful. And then there was a massage school right where you live. Yeah, in my town. I thought about going to Ontario for a little bit, um, but I I live in Victoria. I'm probably always going to live in Victoria. Um and it's a relatively small community, especially in this industry. So it made sense to form networking and connections with the people I was going to be working with. So, oh. yeah. And when did you know it was the absolute right choice? Oh, um, uh, a week before I started this, the program. Ooh, what happened? You know, I just did some real self-reflection. I did a real conversation with myself, not in a state of sobriety. Yeah, <laughs> got it. <laughs> I was like, is this what you really want to do? Have you thought about everything? Like, are you in touch enough with your body? Is this going to freak you out? Is this going to mesh with other parts in your life? And I was like, no, we got this. Wow. And I love that that was before you even started. You just, you, you dropped in and you knew. You're like, yeah, this is for me. Oh, so cool, Christy. Wow. I love all that. And then, so as you went through schooling and you started your practice and then three years later, you started teaching at the school. At some point, did you start to specialize in bigger bodies and fat bodies or like, how did, how did that happen? Totally. So I'm legally forbidden from using the word specialize. Oh, okay. 
good to know. Areas of focus is a, a, an acceptable term. Areas of focus, cool. <laughs> what happened with that was my experience in massage school, because you're getting massaged yourself every day, essentially, right? You're learning and doing constantly with your classmates. Um, and so I, my experience of being fat was was there, right? Like fatness was part of that that experience. And I, as I started building my practice, one of the pieces of advice I was given, and I also very much knew this for myself, was don't worry about being fully booked from day one. Don't go to like, for me personally, it wasn't a good idea to go to a massage clinic that was busy and impersonal and had 50 people and, you know, they'll get you fully booked. You'll make money right away. But I knew for me, the longevity of my career, me enjoying my work was going to be based on personal relationships and people who felt safe with me, people who wanted to be treated by me would find me. And I also knew there were going to be people who would see me and not want to be treated by me. So the longevity and and safety of my career and my workday was going to be very much about me as a person. So, um, with that, I naturally just attracted people who, um, yeah, who felt safe with me. And that doesn't necessarily mean bigger bodies. It means a lot of like mid-sized bodies who feel very fat. Um, so there was a lot of that. A few years ago, there was a great organization here on Vancouver Island called Fat Besties. Um which I don't think is active anymore, but they also put up a directory of safe businesses, safe practitioners. And I was on that list and I probably, probably about 12 or 14 people came to my practice through that. And it's just been like the most rewarding, the best. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I've, I've, well, I was gonna say I've always been self-employed. That's not true. I've worked on and off for companies, but I've also been self-employed for quite a long time. So I've never had the continuous benefits that would like health benefits here in Canada that would really allow me to have regular massage. And I will say one of the things I've always thought about, and if you ever thought, had these thoughts where I'm like, okay, if I became a millionaire, I would get a private chef and I would have like an on-call massage therapist that would be, and I always wanted like that kind of relationship with a massage therapist, someone who like knew my body, knew what we were working on. Cause when I've been able to go, it's kind of, even if it's the same person, it might be like six months since I was able to afford to see them last. Right. And so it's like my body has changed completely in six months. Like I don't know if anyone else's body's like that, but I'm like, well, my shoulder hurt before, but now it's my toe and or whatever. So I just think that's so beautiful to really have that be a central tenant of your business, which is the relationship building, the being able to support people in that way. I mean, it. I feel the power of that so much and I, I want it. <laughs> Sophia, it is absolutely available to you. Is it? Okay. It's absolutely available to you. You pick somebody, pick a therapist. They, they don't have to be perfect. They just have to be yours, right? And go every six months. They're taking charts. They're writing notes, right? And if you, you know, if you feel safe, it feels right to you, give them that level of vulnerability about what you're looking for and you'll get it back. Presumably, right? Like not everyone's perfect, but that's that's kind of how we run businesses. Aim for a smaller clinic. I was going to say, I think I need a smaller clinic because I've been to a few of the bigger ones and it's, it's, yeah, this is, this is why I have to talk to someone because I'm like, I have so many questions about how to make this work the way I want it to. Okay, I love that. So let's so let's talk about this a little further because I think one of the things we wanted to talk about was like RMT, so like registered massage therapist versus what's called, is it called an, an MT, a massage therapist? Like there's lots of different types. So break it down for us depending on where I think also too, there's a bit of uh, variability where people live, like the like Canada versus US. So, so in you're in Ontario. I'm in British Columbia. 
we both have RMTs, which is registered massage therapy. So we're regulated health professionals and we have protected titles. So it's changed recently in BC. So I don't know exactly what the protected title is. I think you can still say massage therapy, but maybe you can't say massage therapist. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's tricky. But RMT is the regulated title, which means you're, um, you've written registration exams with the province. You do continuing education. Um, you have liability insurance. Um, you're held to standards of ethics and conduct. Um, and there's a mechanism in place for complaints uh, through the government. Right. And these are the people who normally can take insurance uh, benefits. So insurance then uses that level of um, authority and education and uses that as their standard to then meet. So in provinces where they don't have regulation, insurance might use a different metric like membership and association potentially or something like that. Got it. That's so interesting. I didn't realize only two provinces. No, no, it's, it's more than two. It's, it's, it's growing. It's growing really fast. A lot of people are working really hard towards a national standard. Um, they've standardized the education nationally. There's an association working on that. Um, it, it's a lot of behind the scenes work that I am not personally involved in. Yeah, yeah. Are you an RMT? Yes. Yes. Okay, so, got it. Two years of school. Um, uh, very hard very hard regulation exams and then regular re-registration requirements. Got it. Got it. And then in uh, the States, uh, the U.S., I think they have something very similar state-wise. So they'll often call them LMTs, licensed massage therapists. Um, and I, some of them are going to, you know, some of them are going to be fantastic, very high standards, um, but they're not standards I'm familiar with. And I don't know always about the differences. But I think no matter where you go, there's going to be people doing massage therapy at a very evidence-based therapeutic level. Um, and there's also going to be an industry of wellness and relaxation. And those are both very, very valuable. Yeah, like the wellness and relaxation, and they would call it like massage therapy like like if I go to a spa so for example if I go to a spa and I get like a hot stone massage that's not normally done by a registered regulated massage therapist but it would it could be like someone who's just who's trained in that modality right exactly it also could be an RMT who chooses to do that okay okay got it interesting where I am it's very clear right if you go to a spa They'll say we have an RMT massage at this price point and we have regular massage at this price point. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, cool. So those are the differences. So I walk into, so <laughs> it's going to sound like a joke. So a fat person walks into a massage therapist clinic, as I have done many a time, and <laughs> I'm faced with like a number of challenges because what goes through my head is oh my God, please let me be matched with someone who, first of all, is not disgusted by my body, someone who knows how to work with my body. I have large breasts, someone who, when they say lie face down on the table, has made an appropriate accommodation because I cannot put my face in the hole with my breasts. I need like a, a like an extra, like what do they call it, like a little donut thing or the you bed bolster. needs to, bolster, thank you, or the bed head thing needs to be able to be adjustable. And I just... So it's nerve-wracking even going in, too. So those are some of my challenges faced. And I'm freaking activist. I'm outspoken. I'm annoying. Like, I just, like, ask for it. And I just, you know, I'm no bullshit about it. And I probably put some people off and piss them off. And I don't care anymore. But, like... I know so many people who won't even go in because the thought of having to have those conversations is so, like, it brings up so much shame. And I still feel it too. I'm just like, but I need this for my body. So I'm just going to have to suffer through it and get some help. So those are some of the challenges that I have faced. What are some of the other challenges that people who are in bigger bodies face when it comes to massage?
Hello, lovely Fat Joy friend, Sophia here, and I have a request. Can you please subscribe to this podcast? And if you've already subscribed, can you please give me a five-star rating? And if you've done that, could you please write a review of the podcast? I know, I know that's a lot of asks, but these actions help increase the profile of Fat Joy, which allows me to keep producing it. I'm so grateful the Fat Joy podcast is one of the top 2.5% most popular shows out of the over 3 million podcasts globally. Totally amazing. And let's bring even more Fat Joy into the world by getting into the top 1%. So when you subscribe, rate and review, you're helping do that. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I just want to say about what you said is stop letting other people pick your therapist. See, I didn't even know I could. Yeah. Oh, so I'm talking to you. Look at, so this is one of the things I teach my students. When you're writing your bio, you are writing your bio to let people know who you are and if they're safe with you, right? And a lot of what I've learned with this, I've actually learned from trans activists. And I'm like, oh, I read things to see if I read bios to see if I'm safe with that person. And yeah, so I I owe a lot to how I approach this to trans activism. Do you know what's so interesting, Christy? I'm just noticing. Oh, my God. Thank you for this permission. You just gave me permission. So I do this if I look for a therapist, like I started working with a therapist recently, and that was like one of my big criteria. I want a feminist. I want someone who has experience in fat liberation. So clear. People that I hire like to work with me on the podcast, they must know about fat liberation. Like it, but why didn't I think about it for massage therapy? They might not be. See, this is it's so strange. I know you asked me a specific question, but I'm giving you a different answer. One way, this is the thing: people see me and they're like, "Oh, I, I'm probably safe with her. She looks fat. She'll know a little bit about my body. That's a pretty safe bet. Let's start there. That's a great start." Um, or people saw me on the safe healthcare registry. Great start. Um, it is, I have experienced talking to other therapists, such highs, such wonderful, amazing acceptance and such bullshit. On the other hand, I have seen both. Um, so how do you pick a therapist who you're going to be safe with? There's going to be, uh, there's always going to be an element of risk. If you feel like it's, I'm not going to tell anybody that they can just go and they'll be fine because that's, we know that's not true. Um, There's an element of risk, but read bios, see if they say all bodies welcome. Um, See if, you know, if for me, I often read if it's a little too sporty, it's a little bit, this is my accomplishment. This is what I do. That doesn't mean they're not going to be safe, but it could mean that they're not. Um, yeah, so that's tricky. So if I, when I'm talking to a therapist who is very sports focused, very accomplished in their own athleticism, and I think they're a great therapist for people in larger bodies, I tell them like, you need to be explicit about that in your bio, all bodies welcome, a bunch of different ways you can kind of communicate that. It's so true. My last therapist, the last, um, RMT that I went to, at one of these bigger kind of chain outfits. He was great, but he was like a body lifter and I could tell, and I actually just kind of talked to him about it, that there were some things with my body that he was kind of confused by. <laughs> like genuine confusion. <laughs> and it was, he once he kind of, once we worked through it, he was pretty okay. But There was still, again, like for me, going to a massage therapist is about really being able to fully relax. And I, I couldn't do that with him even after the conversation. He's never, he was never fully safe for me. And I, I think that's one of the hard things to find is practitioners who can care for our bodies in a really safe way. And I'm just, I'm loving everything you're saying already. Cause I'm like, oh, I can choose. Oh, and I can like, find one and just go every six months. And that like, there's already so much I'm learning. Thank you. And you know what? I, I, I may have dumped too hard on large clinics. Large clinics are homes of some great therapists and a larger clinic is going to often have really good receptionists. 
So use the receptionist. And if you want to be vulnerable to someone, be vulnerable with the receptionist. Be like, okay, look, here's the deal. I've had some bad experiences. I am nervous. I need a therapist who isn't going to panic with a large body or, or however you want to phrase it. Right. And a good therapist at a good or a good receptionist at a good clinic is going to match you with somebody who gets it. I just, I'm taking notes. (laughs) Thank you for that. Oh my God. Everyone listening. I hope this is really helpful for you too. I feel like you're just answering so many of my questions, Christy. Okay. Those are really, really helpful tips. So Okay. So now we're in the door. We have found a therapist. We've hopefully like advocated for ourselves with the receptionist. So now what are some of the other challenges that we may face as we kind of like go into the session and what, what, what do we do? What can we do? So there's two kind of, kind of piles here. There are, there's going to be very fat abled bodies and fat bodies. They're experiencing some disability that might need some extra accommodation. I'm going to stick to the able-bodied pile right here. You can't, it's a podcast. Why am I gesturing so much? Because people watching on YouTube will see your gestures. fantastic. (laughs) So we can, I can go back and talk separately about working with disability, but um, assuming you are able-bodied, you can get on and off the table on your own. Um, The main issue you already talked about it is probably going to be bolsters. Oh, and also, can we just pause for a sec? And why are the tables so small? That's another thing. Tables are another thing. Tables are quite small. The issue kind of is the wider the table, the harder it is on the therapist's body. Oh, I didn't know that. That's good to know. So a wider table is going to be useful in a lot of ways. But if I got a wider table, I'm going to have to reach farther and it's going to put more strain on my back and my shoulders. Oh, well, we don't want that. Okay, that's helpful. That. I'm feeling a little more generous towards the narrow tables right now. Thank you. So I have a system of things I do to make larger bodies feel comfortable on the table. Um, well, I can work with the table I have. Um, shamefully, I don't actually know the weight capacity of my table because it is, it's an electric table. There's probably someone out there who can't safely be on that table. I have never treated that person. Um, and ultimately, you're also looking at working weight which is the weight of the body on the table and then the pressure I'm putting of my body weight on top of that. Oh, right. So if you're in a clinic and it's an electric or hydraulic table, so it's metal, it can move with a pedal and make an engine sound. Most people in most sizes who are ambulatory are going to be okay on that table. If it's a wood table, I would guess it's weight capacity isn't going to be a be above 400 pounds. It might be a little bit less. And working weight. So how much force is exerted for, by a typical RMT? Like, is it another like 30 pounds, 40 pounds? Like, I've never measured it. I don't know. All right. Any physicists listening? <laughs> and look, I've broken a table before. I sat on, I was at a training uh, event. So it was a mobile table. So the person's packing it up, moving around, it's getting knocked around. And I sat on it kind of smack in the middle where the hinge is and it cracked. Oh. And the person, I apologize. They apologized because their table wasn't in great condition to begin with. And we moved on. What else? Oh, bolsters. Bolsters. So uh, to finish with tables, like if your clinic says the working weight of the table or the weight limits of the table, amazing. That is a safe, excellent clinic for you to be at. I myself haven't met that standard yet. Bolsters. Bolsters are the key. Pillows, 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 pillows. Um, When I have a larger body patient on the table, um, first thing I do, well, most massages start face down. It's not a requirement. It's just how it goes. Your therapist should have square pillows under your shoulders to keep your shoulders from curling under and to give some protection for your breasts. I've never had that happen. That would be amazing. I am shocked. For me, that is 100% mandatory. When my patients, when I have a new patient, I'm explaining these pillows. I say there's two types of people who like having pillows under their shoulders. People who have anteriorly rotated shoulders, which is most people on the computer or who read or who drive or something. uh, And people with breasts. Yeah. 
So that's everybody. Everybody. Everybody gets shoulder pillows. Now, if that isn't enough, and that is often not enough for large-chested patients, regardless of the rest of their body, um, there are other options. We can do a pillow under the breasts, which then creates a gap. Um, I've seen fancy, I've seen a lot of different options. Not all of them have I used. So you can ask your therapist, do you have any special bolsters that you work with? Often, if I'm dealing with a patient, especially if they've got extra sensitive breast tissue, um, we'll just sometimes we'll just limit the time they're face down or we'll put them in sideline. I did have a receptionist tell me that because I was talking to them about this when I was going to the clinic for the first time. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll just treat you like we treat pregnant women. And I was like, not sure how I feel about that statement. But I was like, but if it's going to help me, I guess. But it was a very, it felt like, it felt like a, like a, a quote unquote accommodation that didn't actually meet the needs of my body by comparing it to a pregnant body. Yeah. So we have, uh, and this is an option. I have the pregnancy bolster system, which is for everybody. Um, maybe we don't call it the pregnancy bolster system, right? Yeah. But no, it's, it's actually fantastic. It has divots carved out for breast tissue and um, it can be adjusted for creating extra belly space. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's super comfortable. Everyone, I make all my students try it out and they're all like, this is wonderful. Let's use this all the time. Get your therapist to adjust the neck piece on the headpiece. This is a big one. It's got to be able to come up higher. Depending on what's going on with your neck, some people want it really far down, angled down, because um, they're very tight um, through the neck. Um, anyone who's had neck trauma or whiplash might prefer having it even higher to provide extra support so they don't have to be that's in that stretched position. But regardless, if you're lifted slightly higher off the table, lift up the headpiece a little bit more. If it does, because of what I have found is that there was one, t there were, I've had it be two ways. So one is where the, the, the head attachment can only swivel up or down versus the whole thing elevating up or down. And for my body, I need the whole thing to elevate because if you just swivel it up, that means my forehead's in the right place, but none of the rest of my face is actually like touching the part that it should. And it actually puts more strain on my neck. So a solution for that is to grab a whole nother face piece pillow and double it up. Yeah, that's what they did. Here's the thing, this whole experience, if you go in and you're going to your first appointment with somebody and you don't know how you're going to be comfortable on the table, it's going to be trial and error. It's going to be trial and error for everybody. So the forces at work are the therapist wants you to be comfortable. They also don't want you to lose too much of your treatment time to find a way to be comfortable. This is the other thing. I spent like 20 minutes trying to get comfortable on the stupid bed and my appointment was 50 minutes. Yeah. So, so one thing you can say is like, look, I don't care how long it takes. Let's get me comfortable and then we'll know for next time. That's probably the most efficient way to get you the best outcome. Because otherwise, you know, you get 10, 15 minutes of trying to get comfortable and you're like, ah, it's fine. And maybe it is fine. And that's how you want to go forward. Or maybe, no, we need to keep playing with this. Yeah. And I think too, Christy, what I'm hearing you say is like, Walking into that appointment, knowing that the first session is going to be about finding a system that works for our bodies with the tables that are there with the RMT or the mm -hmm. massage therapist, whoever is going to be doing it. Yeah. And just like, I feel like if I had, I think I have always walked in with an assumption that they will look at my body and they will like make the necessary accommodations. And then I got frustrated when I was like on the table and my head couldn't touch the thing. And I'm like, I shouldn't have to do this. You should be able to look at my body. My breasts are very visible. Like, <laughs> like give me what I need. Don't assume. But I feel like if I go in knowing that I'll need to have this conversation, maybe I only book a 30 minute for the first one. And that first 30 minute or whatever I can ask is like just for finding what works for me, having them record it. Because this is what I also did. As I said, I need you to record what we did today in my file so that 
we're not going. So it's ready to go the next time I come. And they're like, oh, great idea. Of course. I'm like, okay, well, I, I feel like I shouldn't have had to suggest it, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is like, once you're, I know this from dealing with such a diversity of bodies, I can't look at somebody and immediately tell everything they need, right? There's huge variation in fat bodies and tall bodies and small bodies. And so there's an element there where it's got to be a conversation and it's trial and error. There's no other way to do it. I imagine that's similar with working with disability, right? A lot of conversation. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about bolsters while you're face down. What's more important to me, honestly, is when you go supine or face up. Yes. This is where I just, this is where it becomes a little standardized. If you are a larger bodied person or have uh, extra tissue around your hips or your butt, you immediately in my clinic room get two pillows under your knees. Yes. Thank you, Christy. One thin pillow does not do it. Not doing it. Please ask for another pillow under your knees. Yeah. Every single time. If you're back, and this isn't just large bodies, if you have any lower back strain and you are feeling uncomfortable lying flat as a board on a massage table, extra pillow under the knees. Yeah, such a difference. And I often need a, a still to have a pillow. Like my head doesn't feel comfortable because I have some neck stuff. Doesn't feel comfortable just flat on my back with, I need like, an actual like a thinner pillow but i need something under my head still so if i see a person's kind of extending their neck um i'll put the small pillow under their neck if i see that breast tissue is kind of suffocating them a little bit then <laughs> yes. i'll get a big pillow yes. and put fully <laughs> under their shoulders i feel like we should call this episode boobs need to be somewhere in the title of this episode <laughs> like how to handle breasts <laughs> when you're in a, oh that sounds weird no we can't call it that but but there's a lot of like breast management. There's a lot of breast management. <laughs> um, the other thing I teach my students to do with larger bodies is tuck people in. No one, if you have to work so hard to keep your arms comfortable, you're not actually relaxing. Please explain. So I imagine a lot of non-fat bodies won't understand what you're talking about, but please describe because it's excruciating. Yeah, okay, it's no gone. fun. <laughs> okay, so you're lying on your back. And let's say you are taking up the full width of the table or you at least feel the edges. You and your hands are on your abdomen, but they're kind of on the sides of your abdomen. So you are having to exert work through your shoulder, through your arm to keep them in place. It is not relaxing. It causes more tension. Yes. Two options. Tuck, tuck your patients in or ask your patient to or your therapist to tuck the sheet under your arm so it's providing force keeping you in. A therapist should ask for consent because that's a little bit restraining. It's a little bit claustrophobic. So a consent conversation should happen at least at some point. Um, but m all my patients know I do it. It feels comforting. First time I make sure they're comfortable with it. So that way they have something to relax against and they don't have to always tuck their hands under their butt, which isn't always the best angle for the shoulder. The other option is to take those little pillows and stick them under your elbows so that you've got extra height that then keeps your hands resting on your abdomen. Oh my gosh, those two options would be amazing. I realized I've only had one therapist tuck and it was amazing. And then I think I forgot about it and never asked for it again. So now I know to ask, do you know what I do? I like tuck it into like the waistband of my underwear. And I'm like, but this isn't relaxing either. It's very, it's funny, it's these little things, but it really matters. Okay, I'm gonna ask for tucks from now on. And if they don't have the consent conversation, I'm going to be like, shouldn't you ask my consent? And then I can be like, I know you're supposed to. I see. I just maybe I'm a bit of a pain in the ass as a client. That's great. <laughs> pain in the ass clients are the best because they start off pains in the ass. And as soon as you've like shown them that you can meet their needs and be professional, they're lovely. Oh my God. Loyal forever. Loyal forever. Yeah. They're the best. Bring me your, your pickiest, your pickiest of people. Thank you for reframing my pain in the assness. I love it as a positive. <laughs> okay, those tips are all amazing. I feel so ready to like go and have, I wish I could come to you. Maybe I'll, maybe next time I'm in that area, I'll be like, Christy, I would love a massage. 
So I'd love to share a little bit with people. How do people go about finding a massage therapist or a clinic that might meet the needs of their bodies, whatever they may be? And you said we could look at the bios of, of the various therapists, but are there, and I know there are a few kind of like you had mentioned, you were on like um, a body safe list. I know Aubrey Gordon links to this on her resources page, but I think it was Reagan Chastain and someone else have a list of like body positive, fat positive, anti-diet practitioners, mm-hmm. which I'll link to in the notes because it's an excellent resource for people to have. And it includes, excuse me, doctors, physicians, primary care physicians, like massage therapists are on there, nutritionists, like it's a whole range of kind of prim- of um, healthcare. Is it international? It is international because there's there it's most of them are in the states, but they're the the Canadian list is growing. I think I feel like there were some European and maybe Australians on there as well. But I'm wondering, like, do you are there any other places people should go, or is it maybe you just call and have a conversation with the receptionist? Like, what's how do we find out who's going to be safe for us? You have to trust your gut and you have to take chances. Okay. And we need more of those directories. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely an area where we need more action across the board from everybody. Um, my, my part is I am educating <laughs> newer therapists and having conversations, uh, asking them to examine their own biases. I tell them about horrible things I've encountered um, from other um, practitioners and things people have told me about their experience. And they are shocked. And the ones who aren't shocked either have experienced themselves or realize they've probably caused situations like that. And I just, I just try, I'm trying to bring the the bar up a little bit for everybody. I'm so grateful that you're doing that work, Christy. That's, that's, it's needed. And it's so important because we should all be able to access this kind of care in a way that is, is safe for our bodies. Mm -hmm. Amazing. One thing I'll tell you is like, a lot of straight-sized people, obviously there's internalized fat phobia for everybody, but a lot of them, especially in massage therapy, aren't as bad as you would think. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of our training is like bodies are bodies. Who cares about body hair? Who cares about, uh, and you know, name it, right? Oh, you have moles. We'll, we'll work around them. Whatever it is. Oh, they have scars. It's no big deal. So much of that is our training. Some people slip through, make it through that and are still quite fat phobic, but the majority get a lot of it beat out of them. Oh, I'm glad. Your average straight size massage therapist is probably better than you think. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I feel like, I imagine I'm not the only one who has some bias against I mean, based on experiences that I've had. And so I feel like I can ask a few more questions, go in a little more informed. And because I I don't care what body size the massage therapist is in. I just want to know that my body is going to be safe. I need them to be able to accommodate my body. And so, yeah, what everything that you've given us is like going to help a lot of people, I think. Thank you. One other thing I want to make really clear, though, um, similar with the bolstering, is fat bodies are often very tender. I think we've all encountered we've been squeezed a little too hard um, or pushed on a little too hard. And some ther- some straight-sized people like very pokey massages because that's the only way to get in on some parts. Generally speaking, larger bodies, and in this I include very muscular bodies, Right whatever the fat percentage is, broad, firm contact goes a long way. So if your therapist is hurting you, if it's too pokey, ask for less pokiness. Ask for like more broad contact, the forearm, the knuckles, the palm, something less pokey. Everyone everyone will know what that means. Or ask for less pressure. If you're, if it's, sometimes pain is obviously effective. It's a useful thing that sometimes we use and can get through but like if it's hurting just the basics and that's not what you are looking for today ask for them to lighten up it's okay yeah 
Oh, I love that. Less pokiness, please. <laughs> That's great, Christy. And what's, please do not hesitate to have your butt massaged. Your butt is filled I've with muscle. I've never had my butt massaged. Oh, yeah. <gasps> I must immediately have my butt massaged. Our butts, our, our butt muscles, our glutes, whatever, our hips, everything. We'll, we'll use scientific language. They're your butt and they carry us around and they support us and we sit on them and sometimes they're weak and sometimes they're really strong and they need to be treated so much. <gasps> oh, oh my God, Christy, I'm writing down, get butt massage. <laughs> also, anytime you hear anyone say low back, I my guess is about 40, 50% of the time it's actually their butt. Oh, interesting. Because we think of the sacrum, the tailbone area as part of the low back, but it's where all the glute muscles attach. Do you know what? I just realized probably why I've never had a butt massage because I always tell ther my massage therapist to stay away from my lower back because I have I have some sports injuries from when I was a swimmer. And um, whenever any therapist touches my lower, like my lower spine, I can't walk for like a day. No matter how expert they say they are, I've tried everything. They do something that aggravates whatever injury I have, and I'm always in pain. So maybe that's why. So I might say, okay, butt only, no spine or something. I may have to like clarify. Yeah. So the glute muscles, not necessarily the glute tendons. Okay. But that might you. still aggravate you. I don't know. We, we won't know until, until I meet you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Christy, I want to get to joy. First of all, this conversation has been very joyful. Talking about massage, I think, is joyful. I, it's something that I think brings a lot of people joy. And I'm glad. I just feel like we. I'm hoping and everyone, like, if you're listening, let me know if this conversation has opened up some space for you when it comes to massage. I really would love to know. It's definitely one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Christy. So Christy, when it comes to joy, how do you turn towards joy? How do you stay connected to joy? What brings you joy? Tell us about your joy practice. What brings me joy? You know, I told my therapist like about a month ago, I'm like, it's sunny out. I don't think I have problems anymore. Right? <laughs> Yes, I know that feeling. <laughs> oh my God. Um, spending time with the children in my life brings me joy. Bombing around downtown on my e-bike uh, brings me so much joy. That was the best purchase I've ever made. Music festivals and dancing and being part of a team and a community brings me a ton of joy. And also spending an entire day at home when I need rest and Having taught myself not to feel guilty about having a lazy day also brings me a lot of joy. Right? And I will say, I've stopped using lazy day because I always hear my mom's voice, voice with that. And I now say, it's my desire day. Oh. Right? Isn't that fun? It's my day of desire. And I desire to be at home and chill. Love it. Oh, all of those are so good, Christy. You're delightful. Thank you. I really wish I lived around the corner from you and you could be my new massage therapist. But I, yeah, I will definitely come and visit you at some point and experience the magic. And I'm so grateful for the magic you've shared with everyone listening. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. Christy gives us such great advice in this episode about how to self-advocate, which really begins with tuning into how we're actually doing emotionally and physically. So uh, for this episode, I've chosen a poem by Rosemary Watola Traumer to share with you, and it is called For When People Ask. I want a word that means okay and not okay. A word that means devastated and stunned with joy. I want the word that says, I feel it all, all at once. The heart is not like a songbird singing only one note at a time, more like a Tuvan throat singer. 
able to sing both a drone and simultaneously two or three harmonics high above it. A sound, the Tuvans say, that gives the impression of wind swirling among rocks. The heart understands the swirl, how the churning of opposite feelings weaves through us like insistent breeze, leads us wordlessly deeper into ourselves, blesses us with paradox, so we might walk more openly into this world so rife with devastation, this world so ripe with joy. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Substack at fatjoy.substack.com. And please do check out the episode notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And we'll talk again soon. 